Welcome to my world. Today is Tuesday, December 19th. We are here live. We are still fighting issues with our phone system. So until we get it figured out or come up with another plan, we will be doing our show here on Spaces. Everybody can still listen on the app. The only real difference is if you have a question or a comment and you want to jump in, you will have to be on Twitter itself and in our space. So if you've got something you want to talk about today, come on over and join us on Twitter. Otherwise, sit back and listen. It will also be recorded and be available on the app later as well. Today is the Power Hour. We are working with the team from Pittsburgh Power, trying to get them in here as well. If not, we will just turn it into a free-for-all today. Uh, One thing I want to talk about while we're getting started on that. We've been talking a lot about the economy. Um, I, I can go all the way back to late 2017. We really started predicting some sort of a downturn. Even in, well, 2017 was about when we should have expected it historically. We tend to see kind of 10 year patterns, um, roughly. Sometimes they happen a little earlier, sometimes they happen a little later. Um, several things pushed back the the recession that should have happened around 2017, 2018. Then COVID hit and the whole world changed and all of the spending, the government spending and the stimulus spending really changed our economy. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it was in a good way. It, it was good for a while. Um, I've been saying I think we're in for a pretty steep recession just based on on the the run up, all the money that's been spent. The the federal government has the, the deficit spending has just been out of control. We are looking at almost doubling our debt if this doesn't slow down from just a couple of years ago. I read an analyst this morning that I haven't heard from in a while, and the news wasn't good. Now, I'm going to go back. The first time I started following this analyst was in the mid-90s. His name is Harry Dent. And in the late 90s, he was predicting a crash, a, a recession. And I think if I remember right, he he originally started predicting it for late 98, early 99. And it didn't happen. And a lot of times these analysts are correct on what's going to happen in the direction. And they seem to struggle with the timing. And that was a case then. So he was predicting it in the late 90s. It really didn't happen then. But then we had the dot-com boom in late 2000, 2001. Um, He predicted the 08, but again, he was calling it a little early. And now he came out and he is predicting that sometime during 2024, we will see the biggest recession of our lifetime, if not a depression. And he's predicting that it will probably take 10 to 15 years 
to get back to the same levels we're at now. Now, that's important if you are getting close to retirement age. If you're within 10 or 15 years, 15 is kind of a stretch. It's hard to predict anything 15 years out. It's really hard to predict anything 10 years out other than big patterns. And that's really what he's predicting here is a big pattern. If you are within 10 years of retirement, you should probably be moving out of most things. Um, he is calling this the bubble of everything this time. That real estate will pull back to uh, 2012 levels. Now, I'm very familiar with 2012 because we decided to buy this house in Oregon in 2012 because I felt like we were really at the bottom of the market, the real estate market from 08, and we would start climbing out. And we couldn't have timed it much better. I, I It was luck. We did buy right at the very bottom of the market. And this house, well, it's hard to say what this house has done in value because we've, uh, we've doubled it in size uh, and quadrupled the land size. But uh, the value of this house without all of that would have more than doubled. And he is now predicting that we may go back to those 2012 levels on real estate. That would be about a 50% pullback on what properties are worth right now. So it's not good news at all what he's predicting. Now, is he right? I don't know. I, I tend to lean towards his prediction just because that's the pattern we've seen my entire life. We go up and we go down. The higher we go up, the farther and longer we go down. There, there's a lot of evidence to uh, to back up what he's claiming, but it, it's also really bad news. And um, the, the one difference that he's predicting this time is that this one is going to hurt the rich far more um, than the middle class. He almost sees this as kind of a reset and then a rebuilding of the middle class. But it sounds like we might be in for some pretty tough times in 2024 if he is correct. I think I see Pete in here. I do. Let's uh, let's see if we can bring Pete in as a speaker. Pete, good morning. Oh, by the way, Pete, um, once I bring you on, which I just did as a speaker, um, you have to unmute yourself. I can't unmute you from my end. So you got to look around on the app. Oh, there you go. I'm on, Kevin. How are you doing today? Good. Good morning. All right. This is working. Yep. I have Leroy in my office. So we'll be Hi. Doing this together. Yeah. <laughs> tell tell Leroy to get closer to the phone. I'll put it between us. Hi. <laughs> all right. Good morning. Well, we're all here. I, I kind of figured we probably wouldn't have Bruce today. Yeah, I don't know what happened to him. I don't know. I thought Bill said he was getting hooked up. Yeah. I guess not. I don't know. I'm not well, sure. He might be joining us later. You know how he pops in, in and out every once in a while. He does what he that that would work. So if, if he joins us, we'll bring him in. What? Uh, so I'm I'm glad this works. Our phone system. You guys know this. We we just changed our phone system, and hey, it's Kevin, been down. Yeah. Bruce said he's in. Oh, okay. Hold on. Tell him. Oh, there he is. It might be him. There we go. Look at this. All right. Whoever is uh, Bruce, you're going to have to un. Oh, you already have. Look at that. Bruce, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. 
All right. Boy. This is working. Wow, this was... This was <laughs> so, people were calling us saying uh, there's no radio show today. I, yeah, they, they do that. Within minutes, they, they know whether it's a new show or not, and they start calling and texting. So we switched our phone system because we're still not done building ours, and our other phone system was just giving us way too many problems. And when we switched to the new system, it was almost flawless. We were not having any issues whatsoever until Friday. And then the issue was we just can't do a show at all. Our phone system just will not connect to anything. And so we switched over to spaces on Friday. And then I figured, well, for sure they'll have it ready on Monday. And they didn't. And we can't get a hold of anybody. Nobody's responding to us. And it's a system wide. It's not just our account. There are messages that their whole system is down. So for now, looks like we'll be doing this on spaces. It still goes out on our app. So everybody that has the app can still listen. It's still recorded. So it'll be there whenever anybody wants to listen. Okay. All right. So we will not be using our office line everything will be on the cell phone for now yeah until we until we either get our phone system the current one working or we get ours finished one of the two okay all right well bruce since i've got you what's on your mind today well i had a 63 year old on the phone yesterday 1.8 million miles on his torsional damper I uh, wasn't quite sure the difference between the damper and the mercury-filled balancer. His great cat mechanic who does his cat work uh, never talks about the torsional damper. And it just befuddles me that uh, people don't know yet. He's he's listened before, and uh, he, he says, I'm a skeptic. Yeah. <laughs> you can be a skeptic and start breaking parts, you know, that... Torsional damper is the same as a shock absorber. It does have a life. And I could imagine how this 379, the shaking that's going on inside this truck, and he's just probably grown accustomed to it. But, uh, yeah, those torsional dampers, you you can't always listen to your mechanic when it comes to a torsional damper because they just don't know. I'm not saying they're not good mechanics. They just weren't privy to the information that I was whenever I was younger. Bruce, you know, it, it's a shame that we have we don't have a better system of sharing information around the industry when we figure stuff out. And, you know, I went through this with, with something that seems so obvious to us when I when I moved my truck to Orlando and I spent a year trying to find a shop and then I finally found a shop that I liked. And then the uh, the service manager at that shop went out on his own with a mobile unit. So, and he was really the guy that I had built the relationship with and took care of me. So I followed him and then he built a shop and he got all of my work. And it was a great relationship. I talked about it forever, still down there in Orlando, um, a great shop. But, you know, the, the first time I asked them to test my charger cooler, it was I just had a truck in for a service and I said, hey, while it's down there, test the charger cooler. And they acted kind of surprised and they said, really, you want us to test it? And I said, yeah, it should be tested pretty regular. And they were still kind of acting weird about it. And I didn't really catch on. So later on, a couple of days later. I didn't need the truck. For some reason, I was talking to him and I said, hey, how'd that charger cooler test go? And he said, well, 
we don't have the charger cooler out yet. And I said, what do you mean you don't have? They were going to send it out and have it tested in a dunk tank. Wow. Yeah. So I had to, and like I said, great shop, great mechanics, always great service. They just had no idea on how to test one uh, still on the truck. You know, Kevin, there's not everybody thinks outside the bun. So you have to think, what is going on here? What should I be looking at? How can I do this? And it's just not all nuts and bolts. There's a lot of thinking that goes in to becoming a mechanic. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the I, other thing that really helps is, is you know, all the talk. You know, we come on the air. People call us with things. We've been doing this for years. You still take tons and tons of phone calls. When you're that active with this stuff, you just discover more of these things. Correct. And... Um, you know, when we'd have a problem in the shop on, a, say, a big cam Cummins, and we would call Cummins Engineering, and they'd say, well, how much horsepower is this one making? I'd say, oh, it's probably around 700. And they'd, and they'd say, Bruce, you're way ahead of us. We can't help you guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I had, uh, I, so I had any- It was Pete and me and Gary and we're in the in the shop and we're standing there and we got our three heads together and we came up with a lot of stuff yeah you did but you had to keep thinking and and to this day you have to think and i have several mechanics that they'll have something on their mind adam is one that does the uh, hawkeye report and he'll come in and say well, I had this truck on my mind at 3.30 this morning. I couldn't get back to sleep. And and uh, several of our new guys are the same way, and they're working on something. And I'll say to them, well, did this wake you up last night? Yeah, around 4 o'clock. And <laughs> so that means when you take that home with you and you're thinking through the night, a lot of times you can, you can cure a problem thinking in the middle of the night because your mind's still working, but it shows that you care. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you know, you I over the years, you guys have come up with all kinds of solutions exactly like that. You have a problem, you think on it, you you have solved a lot of those problems. Uh, you know, I'm sure we've talked about it, the story behind how we came up with the smoke test for the charger cooler. That was an accident. Yeah. It, we, we bought that smoke machine thinking we could find leaks in the air system. That was what we were hoping because it's always so hard to find them. The problem is the smoke machine will not work for that at all. We tried everything and we had spent quite a bit of money on that machine and um, we're just standing there staring at it, wondering if, you know, we can get our money back for it because we couldn't think of another use for it. And as we're standing there talking about it and thinking about it, um, somebody walked up and asked about a charger cooler test. And it, that was all it took. Robert and I looked at each other and we thought, hey, this might work. So, yeah. yeah. And, uh, just the other day on uh, on my trip home in the coach, I had a uh, I had a quick diagnosis using your two favorite gauges. Boost and uh, pyrometer. Turbo yeah, boost truck, and pyrometer. coach had been running beautiful all trip. It, it would it maxes out right at 50 pounds of boost. 
And all of a sudden I got up the second day and I'm driving a big, heavy wind. So at first I thought, well, it's just the wind messing with things. But I, I started to realize I couldn't get 50 pounds of boost. I get 45, 46, maybe bump up against 47. And with that coach, my first thought was, oh, you know, another boost leak because I've had so many. And then I thought, well, I wonder what the pyrometer is doing. But my pyrometer was down. So, I, and I had thought I might have gotten a bad load of fuel because my um, my generator was missing and not running all that well. Uh -huh. uh, so, it's so easy to to spin a fuel filter on this. It's in the back compartment. It's clean. It's right there. You can get to it. And I had a filter with me. So, I stopped and threw a filter on it, and that took care of it. How about that? Isn't that amazing, huh? Yep. Turbo boost goes down, exhaust temperature goes down. It means you're not getting fuel. Yep. Simple, simple diet. And if had I really thought that it was a boost leak, there would have been nothing I could do. I mean, not out on the road. You can't get to anything on that thing right. as far as boost leaks. I just would have left it. Mm -hmm. But the fact that you have the exhaust gas temperature gauge. Yep. Yep. Made it easy can be so simple. Yep. And so many people out there today still know turbo boost gauge. I was talking to a lady the other day, no turbo boost gauge, driving 74 miles an hour on Saturday morning on her way to her destination. She was in Georgia heading south. So she apparently was maybe going to Florida or Atlanta. And I said, why not just slow down because you're going to get to where you're going really early. And her idle time is 50%. So I said, just slow it down. Slow it down to 60 because you're still going to get there. You've got all day today and all day tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I, I just went through that. I didn't have all day. I only had a couple days to get from Nashville to Boise because I had another event to speak at. So I had to run pretty hard. And the second day in Wyoming, I actually ran into 75 mile an hour wind gusts. Was it coming straight out of the west or was it coming it, out of the northwest? It was coming out of the northwest at an angle. And it was blowing you from the right lane to the left lane? Yep. And they were all the signs, all the electronic signs were uh, all high profile vehicles under 40,000 or empty trailers get off the road. And you stayed on the road? No, I got off. I sat it out for 24 hours. Oh, yeah, I, I couldn't keep it. I couldn't keep it in the lane. Um, and I was actually down to three and a half miles to the gallon. Yeah. The wind was so brutal. I, I was getting three and a half miles to the gallon and I couldn't keep it in my lane. It was just a mess. And, and mm -hmm. I thought, all right, I'm just sitting this one out. That's exactly right. Did you make it to Little America? No. I, I it, Had I been able to... So are you familiar with Buford, Wyoming? No. So Buford is kind of famous. I remember reading an article about it. They, they actually had a sign up there on the interstate, and it said Buford, Wyoming, population one. And I remember they did a big write-up about it. There's a there's one exit, a little convenience store is all that's there. And the guy that owned the convenience store was the only one who lived in that town. But then 
he moved. So the population of Buford, Wyoming is actually zero. And that's where I parked. Right behind that convenience store is a, a DOT like Quonset style shed in another building. And I managed to tuck in between them and kind of get out of the wind. Yeah. Uh, but I, I proclaimed myself mayor of Buford for the night. <laughs> uh, I've had scares with my Kenworth pulling my RV in my wow. second trailer, uh, going down 25, um, trying to way south of Denver. I'm trying to think of the yeah. name of the pass. And it took the awning off the fifth wheel, brand new awning, and never even ever opened it. Took it off. I, I heard it going, and I looked in my left mirror, and I saw it flying and flying across the northbound traffic. I was southbound and on out into a field. And uh, that was one of the things that finally I just decided I've had enough. My, I've got four big awnings on mine. They're all down the entire side. So they're about 20 feet each. And it started unrolling those about three feet out and then they would slam back in. And I thought, man, if I lose one of those, I'm going to be in trouble. Yeah, that would have made a mess. Yeah. So, yeah, it was ugly. Sure is. I've towed with the Dodge, the snowmobile trailer, and I only had to go 20 miles on 80, and it said no. No small trailers or anything, but I made it to 20 miles, and then I had to go south into Craig, and that was even worse because yeah. the wind was coming out of the west. And, yeah, very right, scary. You know, this, this trip was interesting. I left um, Hendersonville, Tennessee, Saturday morning early. Hendersonville is the town that just got hit with all the tornadoes. Mm. That's where I had been parked for almost two months on and off. Uh, and I had just left that morning. I didn't even see any rain. It had to all be behind me. Um, so I didn't even know that was going on right after I left there. But in the first 24 hours, I got over a thousand miles. It was one of those great days of driving. I, I drove like 12 hours straight, stopped, took a four-hour nap, got back up, started driving again. And within the first 24 hours, I had gotten 1,000 miles, and I had some some leeway now, you know, because it was going to be a fairly tight schedule. But that first day bought me some time, except the second day, I only got 200 miles, and then I had to shut down because of the wind. So I got up the third day and did almost uh, like 700 and some miles on the third day and actually made it in on the third night. Wow. That's good. Yeah. It was, good uh, thing you don't have a have to have electronic logs. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have made it. I would that's not right. have made it. All right. What else you got this morning? Oh, that's all I have for right now. All right. Pete, Leroy, jump in. What's on your mind this morning? thing I have is the, the shop's getting caught up. So anything after the first of the year, we can start taking. So if, if someone needs something done from January 2nd on, we're pretty much open. So we can have people come in for, you know, whatever they need. Good. Good. All right. Leroy, what about you? Well, I would actually had a question for you. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So um, we... I've got a few calls recently about this whole like clean truck program thing that in California. Do you do you know much about it? No, I try to ignore California. It it's something that you have to like sign up. Oh, for. oh, gosh. In if you plan operating in California, and we, if you're we did talk about client, they'll take away your registration. 
Yeah, we we did talk about that. It, it nothing's really changed about the emissions or the standards, but they have started this new registration program, I guess. But I, I other than the fact that a couple people called me and said they were doing it, like I said, for the most part, I just ignore California. So yeah, I think it's I think it's the the thing I saw yesterday that piqued my interest was they have some sort of like OBD tool that they can plug in and see right away if it was tuned or not, which oh is boy. something that uh, a lot of people have to deal with when they go in there. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, because I had I think was it you, Pete, that was saying about it, or was it Bruce? Say somebody in Michigan was plugging into their truck, and Me. yeah. And I wonder if just more people are starting to do that, because if, if that's the case, then, yeah, nobody's going to be able to really have a tune or anything, because um, then you're just out of compliance. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it seems like almost every week or at least several times a month now, I'm reading articles about trucking companies and shops being busted for this. Yeah. And and it's just if you're not in compliance where they just give you a citation, they're not like reporting you or anything like that. I think they just give you a citation say you're not in compliance, get into compliance. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, the shops have been seeing some pretty hefty fines when, yeah. when they find out it's a pattern. Well, no. that's because they're doing the, uh, the, uh, the leaks. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just for a long time that it just didn't seem like there was any enforcement hardly at all on that. Now it seems to be a lot more common. Yeah. So, hey, you know, we, we another topic came up and I can't remember if this came up on our show or if it was a different show. Did did we talk about the the fact that they were putting I think we did. They were putting older cat engines in brand new trucks. They were just buying trucks, taking the engine out, putting an old cat in there. Yeah. yeah. There's two shops in Nebraska doing that. Yeah, and I still can't. I've tried to read regulations and figure it out, and I just can't. And it's typical of our federal government. You read one thing in one agency, and you go read the rules in some other agency, and they seem to conflict with each other. So from what I can tell, that does not sound legal to me at all. No, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, because I I think even like the Clean Air Act says something about like if you're going to replace the engine, that's fine. But you have to like replace it with something that is the same sort of emissions you can't. Or newer. Yeah, you can't just go backwards. So you can take N14 out and put an ISX with all the emissions on it, which would be legal. because But you can't go backwards. I think the glide was the engines attached to the normally the VIN has an engine attachment to it so that's kind of like what you base is off of but with gliders it was just like it's a special VIN that means you can put any engine in it really but they got rid of gliders so but even then even then the way the glider worked was when you ordered the glider you gave them the engine you were putting into it it, it was built for that engine and and then they allowed it to be built for that engine's emission levels so whatever engine you chose to put in there that set the emission standards for that glider and, and that was a very specific rule but the the way i see it is you're not allowed to alter the emissions. I mean, that that's pretty clear all over the place in all kinds of rules. And clearly taking out the engine and putting in something else is altering the emissions. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a direct violation. And I, I don't know how, I know they have that rule set in for like kit cars and, and things like that. But I just don't know if, if kit cars play by the rules. 
Well, and and here's the thing: the 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 kit car rules that you see are not about emissions. They never have been. They're just about titling. There's just a rule that allows you to build a car, a kit car, modify cars. And and at a certain point, if you modify it enough, you have to get a new title. And there were titled there's there's what are called title brands where where it tells you all that we we can see all of this in the rig dig reports. But that that was all all of those rules were about titling a vehicle. It had nothing to do with emissions. Right. So I, I don't know how that same rule applies for for big trucks i mean i imagine you can make like a kit car semi truck but you know i don't think you can do that to circumvent emissions regulations but i don't know i i I don't know either and like i said i can't figure it out because you can read one thing in one agency set of rules and then you go to a different agency look it, it the irs even gets involved in this stuff (laughs) <laughs> because the the IRS is actually um, that's who keeps going after Fitzgerald, because they claim that they're even though they were legal gliders, they didn't meet the criteria for waiving the excise tax. So that's what the IRS is going after Fitzgerald for, and all these lawsuits. They want Fitzgerald to pay all that excise tax. <laughs> yeah, and and that gets really complicated because. If I remember right, the rule was in order to avoid excise tax, the glider had to sell for less than 80% of the value of a new truck. And if you sold the if the glider you sold was priced at higher than 80%, then it was considered a new truck and you were required to pay the excise tax. But how do you, who gets to determine all of these values? Right. You know, you could go buy a brand new truck at one point and maybe the base price on it was 160, but you could put enough options on it to make it 200. Right. So who who says, well, you built this glider and it has to be 80 percent of of what? 80 percent of which model and how was it built? And so that's why I don't know if they're ever going to settle this. Is there any other item that carries that federal excise tax, a personal airplane, no. helicopter? Do they have it? Not that I'm aware of. I, I believe that was a very specific truck tax but i'm not positive about that because all that mattered to me was i had to know the rules for trucks that's all i cared about and and airplanes and helicopters don't make our life possible but the semi truck does so why did the semi truck that was 12 percent at one time wasn't it yeah i think so why why did they go after the semi truck with a 12% tax. And and how, how many, when did this start? Does anybody know what year that started? I know. It's, it's been in existence the whole time I've been in the industry. Here's another one that, that I had experience with. I had a client in Florida and he, he was buying a new truck about, uh, another truck about every six months. He was building a fleet and I was working with them. And he found this killer deal This was back in the late 90s when I really liked the Volvo with the Detroit. He found one new up in Canada. And because of the exchange rate and a couple other things, he was getting this truck for about almost $40,000 less than what he would have paid for it here. 
It was a really good deal. So he buys it. He does all the paperwork to get it into the United States. And then he calls me and he said, hey, I've been through all the paperwork. I've got title. I've got license plates. I've got everything I need. He said, I, I never paid the excise tax. And I said, oh, well, that's weird. And I said, well, maybe it's not weird. I said, because that's a dealer thing. The dealer has to charge that at the time of sale. And there is no such thing in Canada, not that we would be subject to. And he said, well, I, I, I'm willing to pay it. He said, I, I got this truck cheap enough that I, I would rather just pay it. And I said, all right, I'll see what I can do. I couldn't find a way for him to pay it. That nobody would accept the payment, even though he wanted to make it. So finally, I just told him, it doesn't sound like anybody cares and you have your registration in your plate. So I wouldn't worry about it. I wouldn't even thought about it. I would have just. I wouldn't have either. He was the one that came to me and asked me how to pay yeah. it. And I said, well, I don't know, but I'll look. But there was no way to pay it. All right. Did you see the 389 day cab with 38,000 miles with a 6NZ cat go through the auction? I, Al, I, Al Hammerstein I almost sent wonder, me the link. I almost Three, wonder if that's for real. 300,000. Somebody should just be shot. <laughs> hey, be careful with that one. That <laughs> 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 got you in trouble before. <laughs> You're right. At that one, I, 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 every time I look at that one, I think, okay, this isn't real. It, nobody would have paid that much. Somebody's right. going to Two, two wealthy farmers were bidding on it, and they wanted it, and they can't get a glider anymore, and they, yeah, they liked the hooded truck, and they wanted the uh, 6NZ cat. You know, I, I would have gone and found an older version of that truck with an original 6NZ in it, put all that money into reconditioning it from front to back. Yeah. You could have made a very, very cool truck with all that money. Well, hey. Yeah, I just good luck. And, and if they've got it, fine. You know, but what we just came through a couple of years where owner operators were paying those kind of crazy rates for trucks just because you had to back then. If you wanted a truck, they were all selling for that much. The problem is everybody who bought a truck then is struggling with it now. They can't afford yeah. them. They, they just paid way too much for trucks and trailers and, and the revenue is not there anymore. Have you priced the three quarter inch? Four by eight sheet of plywood lately. Now, is that going up again? That's uh, up between 80 and $90 a sheet. Again? Really? Yeah. You know, I just read an article that that um, they're predicting we're about to see the shortage of everything phase again. Well, it's, it's all planned by the people trying to run the country. And there's a finished plywood that you would use if you were making cabinets. And I think I heard $119 a sheet today. Wow. Wow. Yeah. A friend of mine's a contractor, and, and when we start talking about engines and things, and he'll bring up the price of lumber and right. different things. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. It's, um, it's hard to say what's going to happen. I, I My open this morning was about um, one of the financial analysts that I've been following since the mid-90s. And he did a pretty good job of predicting the um, the dot com bust. He 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 always tends to predict a little early, so he was calling for that dot com bust around ninety eight ninety nine. Really didn't happen to about oh one. Uh, he was calling for the real estate bubble to burst in 
oh early oh seven, maybe even as early as late oh six. That really didn't happen till oh eight oh nine. He just came out and said 2024 will be the worst um, recession of our lifetime. He said it may even rival the depression. And people still think uh, Biden and companies doing a great job. That's uh, it. it I, I can't. I, I don't ever remember seeing the country in such shambles. I, uh, I mentioned to a guy last night, he was on a golf cart and uh, the weather wasn't very nice. And I said, maybe I should move to Arizona for the winter. He said, nah, too many scorpions and too many Democrats. <laughs> he didn't know me from Adam. <laughs> so, yeah. anyway, that's how yeah. he looked at it. Yeah, I know. So, All right. It's, it's a shame. Should we take some calls? Sure. All right. Uh, I'm going to start bringing some speakers in here. Fred, you're up first. Uh, Wojtek, you'll be up after him, and then uh, we'll move on to a couple more. Fred, what's on your mind this morning? Oh, we got to work with the delay here this morning. Fred, are you there? He's got to touch the microphone button. Yeah. Fred. Fred's pretty experienced at these. He's either... He either uh, walked away and he's doing something or he's having technical issues. Wojtek, jump in there then. Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, I got a question for the Pittsburgh Power Crew. Uh, so I have a 2010 Volvo and I've been having DPF issues uh, for a while now. I've cleaned the filter twice by DPF alternatives. I've replaced all the gaskets, eliminated some leaks that uh, TJ's mechanic found. Uh, and it's still not doing a complete regen. It starts the regen, but it doesn't, apparently it doesn't get hot enough. The exhaust does not get hot enough to complete the regen cycle and it stops, it aborts the regen. Um, and I, while driving, I noticed that the exhaust gas does not get more than 600 degrees and sometimes it it, it just struggles to heat uh i get plenty of boost and boost is normal for that truck it's so just let me ask you about turbo boost on the level what's your boost on the level at a given speed and rpm man i should have been more prepared to answer that question i should have known you were going to ask um, don't don't I you do, ever look at the boost gauge? I, I, when do. You're on the I, 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 I do. I do. I do. And um, it, it's it's about 15 psi when I was driving on 70 through Kansas, and it was pretty flat. And I had, did not have a heavy load, and I was about about 60 miles an hour. It was about 15 psi, 10 to 15. Is this a variable geometry turbo? Is it, this a it, Volvo engine? It is. It is VGT. Yep. I think your VGT is close too much. You have too much boost. That's why you're not getting any heat. Oh. You need to get it's, – it's a Volvo engine? Yes. So you need to get to a Volvo dealer and tell them to open up this variable geometry turbo to bring down my boost and increase my exhaust gas temperature so that I can get a regen going. Hmm. Well, I wonder why uh... – the mechanics that have been trying to figure this out did not think of that. Well, because they're, what did we talk about just about 15 minutes ago? 
<laughs> yeah, parts changers. Now, how many guys? How many guys? Uh, even back in the days that the D deck four will call in and say they can't get fuel mileage in their 18 pound of boost at 62 miles an hour on the level. It doesn't work that way. The boost has to be down. Hmm. Okay. Boost has to be down. Exhaust temperature has to be up. You might want to put your thermocouple on the exhaust manifold. You get efficiency at 800 degrees. Right now, you don't have efficiency if you're running this cold. Right. Yeah. I will try that. The rule is you want enough boost when the exhaust when the thermocouple's in the exhaust manifold to keep the exhaust around twelve hundred degrees. And that was back in the days of aluminum pistons. Now you How? probably probably go to thirteen or fourteen. It's been Caterpillar once said with steel pistons you can go to fifteen hundred degrees. How much of a factor is ambient temperature um this not, time of year? Not too much. Okay. Well, I'm planning on going to the shop uh, today to start addressing that. I'll tell them to try to do that. Are you running the max mileage catalyst? Yes. Hmm. So that'll lower your temperature of your soot burning from 1,000 to 750, but you still don't have enough temperature if you're showing 600 degrees. To move that thermocouple into the manifold, you're going to have to pull the turbo off and drill it and tap it, and then put the turbo back on. And I am not sure before, where exactly that's Before I that go drilling the manifold, I would, I would be trying to get that programmed to open up the variable geometry a little bit to cut back on the amount of boost and let your exhaust temperature get a little warmer. So the VGT has been replaced about a year and a half ago, and I'm wondering maybe the guy that did that didn't do something right as far as uh, calibrating that thing. Mm -hmm. Is there a calibration mm. on that, Leroy, you know? Uh, if it's an electric VGT, then yes, it would be. Yeah, it is. Okay. All right, we'll see what happens. All Thank right, you. good luck. To, let us get, get back to us and let us know. I will. I was trying to see if I can squeeze in this week into your shop, but apparently uh, not till after the first. So, well, we're we're not open on weekends. Uncle Sam stopped that. They busted us twice back in the nineties with a twenty-two thousand dollar fine one year and a twenty-three thousand dollar fine the next year for working on Saturdays. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. Two years in a row. Wow. So. We decided that was enough, and we only had a two-bay shop. And they said that was because of overtime pay. And so we said, well, if you're going to charge us that much for overtime pay, how can we pass that on to the owner-operator? And we just said, well, let's just close on Saturday and try not to work overtime. Hmm. Yeah. So bad the system was back then, and, and they haven't made it any better. Uh, you're just you should be just glad you weren't trying to do this in california yeah. <laughs> you know back in the uh, late 60s early 70s there were eight of us going to move to california and we were going to tow my corvette because it got about eight miles to the gallon it was a 66 roadster and uh, one by one my buddies all fell out and i was the only one left and so i ended up staying in pittsburgh or i would have been in california but back yeah. back in the late 60s, it was a pretty neat place. 
Oh, it's gotten a lot worse. I've been to the labor board more times than I care to uh, think about, and it was all that stupid BS stuff. So, wow, it's... yeah. All right, I'll I'll let you know what happens with that VGT. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thanks for the call. Let uh, Let's try Fred again. Fred, are you there yet? Oh, let me try to bring him back in. He may have had some difficulties. All right, Fred. Thought I saw him trying. Hello, Kevin. You got me now? There you are. Go ahead. Good morning, everyone. You know, I, I usually let all the guys with uh, newer trucks get on here. Uh, I try just to listen because I, I do value uh, learning because I have an older truck. But um, just wanted to speak a couple of things uh, to Bruce's point about the damper. Um, when I put this Detroit in this Peterbilt of mine, I uh, ha- came out of a Freightliner and, you know, we call them freight shakers for a reason, so it had all kinds of vibrations. And I changed the damper when I put it in the truck, and I actually am due for a new one. But the uh, I ran it for a while without the damper, and I was breaking accessory drive uh, – not accessory drive, but the uh, AC um, brackets and the bolts in there and stuff like that. And even the, uh, the uh, uh, alternator bolt once broke on me or backed out too. And once I changed the damper, all of that stuff stopped. So there is a lot of validation to that just as, and it was one of those things I just kind of overlooked because I've had conversations with Bruce over the years with this. So it's something to definitely look at if you have a truck with a half million miles on it. So uh, just to give him that point. And, And again, you know, this goes back to, I think everyone who owns a truck should have some kind of, at least try to have some kind of mechanical background you may not be able to do some of the stuff on the newer trucks, but just try to educate yourself and ask questions. And that's what's so valuable about having these shows and these spaces, because you can ask uh, guys who have, you know, the, the decades of experience like Pete and Bruce, excuse me, Bruce on, on a stage. And just you have to educate yourself so you can at least help try to try to figure out problems. Because when you're stuck on the side of the road like Kevin was, if you don't have that mechanical knowledge, you're, you're subject to uh, lackluster performance on a shop. And uh, that's uh, I'll land there. Well, let, let, let's take this one step further. When I was learning to snow ski in 1964, I bought ski and skiing magazines and they had pages on there called how to how to make a certain turn, how to do this, how to do how to sharpen your edges. And I would actually rip those pages out and take them with me to the local ski resort and read them as I'm riding the chairlift to practice that next turn. And so then when we got into the racing industry and then the diesel engine business, the first book I read was Hugh McGinnis's book on turbochargers. And I think I read the book three times and then I started to read engine manuals. But let's, let's go right now. Let's say I wanted to buy a small airplane. Do you think I'd just go out and buy an airplane? Or would I buy some magazines, or now you can go online and just read about it, and read about what different things mean? I'd read about how, how, what makes the airplane take off. I, I know a commercial jetliner lands at about 158 mile an hour. A small craft doesn't. So read about what makes it take off. How does it land? The controls, what are the different things do? But... It's all in reading, and we have all these articles that we started writing since 1989, and it's an article every month, and they're on our website. 
You can even get them by typing my name into Google. We have these videos that we make and we take turbochargers apart and we have torsional dampers cut in half. But, you know, let, let's go back to the damper. Years ago, Mark Chappell, who is still my a good friend who's retired from Cummins, he was the performance engineer. And he called me one day out of the clear blue and he said, Bruce, I was thinking about these big cams and you're making seven and eight hundred horsepower. You need to put two dampers on it. I said, really? Can you imagine being in your 30s and the head engineer at Cummins calls you out of the clear blue and tells you that you should be putting two dampers on these engines? Do you think that would get your attention? If you would ignore it, you'd have to be stupid. And so we were making adapters and putting two dampers on. Jerry Herhogger, I think, was the very first one to have it on his. And But it was expensive. A damper back then was like $800. There were no, uh, they weren't made in China at the time, and they were just made in the U.S. The prices since come way down, and even on the U.S. made ones. But... Uh, so then we started to do research and we found out larger dampers for higher horsepower. And so that's how it all started with the damper. And then they flew three of us from Pittsburgh Power to Memphis, Tennessee, and they used to rebuild dampers down there. It was July. And we stayed in that hotel that has the ducks that come in and go into the fountain. I forget what that was called, but... Uh, I got to talk to one of the engineers that was in charge of the line where they rebuilt the dampers. And he said they start to fail at 380,000. If he was an owner operator, he'd change his at 300. Well, keep in mind, this is back in the late 80s or mid 80s. And silicones have come a long way because of chemical engineers. And so that's why we talk about changing these dampers. And when I get somebody on the phone and they say they're skeptical or my mechanic doesn't want to believe in it, I thought, what the hell's wrong here? How why doesn't people think on their own and listen to what we're saying? Are we gone? Hello? No, Bruce, you know, to your point, I think people want to uh, subjugate their responsibility to someone else. Uh, you know, and that's the society we've, we've come to, whether then think uh, critical thinking is, is gone out the window, unfortunately. So I, I think it's more of a societal problem. Not that no one wants to listen to you, but, you know, some people just get on here just for I don't know why. But you know, this is this is where we're, we're at. I mean, I, I'm an old school, old school truck driver, 35 years out here, and I've rebuilt big cams in, 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 in yards, you know, out in the weather. So, I mean, you know, that's where I come from. All right. So, you know, and it took me a year with six owner operators testing the Max Miley's Catalyst before I even talked about it on Kevin's show. And all six of those guys, Bruce Luke was the first one, 2013 T660 with an ISX. And he was eight to 12,000 a year on emissions, and now he's at zero. And I had to listen to him. I listened to him, and I listened to the other five owner operators. And that's when we started talking about it. So if I was bullheaded and didn't listen and uh, always wanted to have it my way, I, you wouldn't even be hearing me on this show. You, nobody would know about us. 
I remember the first time I talked to Kevin about a boost gauge and a pyrometer, and he was skeptical. And look, it fixed just fixed this problem. There you go. All right, we're going to bring in a couple more speakers here and keep moving. Nick, you are up next, and uh, John, you will be up after Nick. Nick, go ahead. All right, you got me. Uh, yep, go ahead. Okay, just real quick, um, you guys were talking about the Nebraska trucks again. Um, uh, from what I understand, they send out a DOT official from the state of Nebraska that has to inspect these trucks and then put their seal of approval on on the build. So, to me, if if you you know if you get nailed for the emission stuff, I I'd say it goes back on the the inspector at that point. So here's here's what I was talking about earlier when. We have so many government alphabet agencies now that shouldn't even exist, and you would not believe how many regulations are in conflict with each other from different agencies. Right. So it, it certainly helps that you've got a state department of transportation saying, yes, it's a legal truck, but are they stating it's a legal truck for federal emissions or are they only stating it's a legal truck for state DOT? Right. That's that's what worries me is that you can get into a pissing match between these agencies and guess who loses? Yeah. That's yeah, what I worry Kevin, about. Kevin, to that point, I was talking to a gentleman so, I know up in Kansas who was looking at this and what they're doing is they're putting a reconstructive title on these trucks. That's how they're trying to skirt the laws. Yeah. I, I don't believe you're that, allowed to use that title to get around emissions. It's, it's an assembled title, not reconstructed. Okay. That's what he told me. I guess that's what it is. So. Yeah. I, I understand what they're doing. I'm just not sure if everybody has cleared it through all the agencies that need clearing. Yeah, and then the Cal the California thing you guys were talking about plugging into OB two OBD two and seeing if there's a tune. I also understand that they're going to have sniff uh, stations set up, um, like they do in some of the other states as well. So yeah, it's it's getting pretty serious. Yeah, seems like it. Uh, I, I understand too. I've got a a friend who, who uh, he said that they've. California's got so bad where they're actually going out to like racetracks and guys that have cars that were originally equipped with catalytic converters that removed them, they are giving them emissions fines. Even though it's off highway use, they're giving them fines for tampering with the emission systems on race cars. So yeah. they're they're That's they're kind of they're going crazy. It seems like it. Yeah. I, I would just be more careful because you don't want to get stuck in, in a dispute with these agencies. Yeah. I'll just stay away from California. Yeah. Um, a question about, I see AirDog makes a air separator that doesn't require a different pump. It's simply a puck that goes on your secondary fuel filter and uh pulls the air out that way i kind of i don't know i've had fast pumps before and to me they weren't all that reliable but this system sounds a little bit more promising i just wondered if anybody had any experience with that um and i was trying to figure out like the mechanics of separating the air and speaking to them it sounds like it's essentially just a port on the top of the 
assembly that has a return line that allows the air to go back to the tank. I mean, you know, you, you spin off a fuel filter now without that system, you've always got air on the top. Um, it's just allowing that air to go back into the fuel tank. It's not like there's anything magical about it. So I'm not familiar with this. You're saying that it's not, there's no electric, there's no pump, that this is just an attachment to your current spin-on filter? Yeah, yeah, it goes in between the housing and the filter, and you've got a return line that goes uh, back to your tank. Well, if it works, that would be a, a pretty darn simple, inexpensive solution. I'll have to look at that. I didn't know anything about that one. Hey, yeah, Kev- you don't have to worry about electric pump going out on you either. It's... Go ahead. I think that's been around, and I think I've only seen them on the cat engines. And what they would do is bump the fuel pressure up on the factory cat pump. Okay. So pressure, and then it would have excess fuel to return the aerated fuel back to the tank. I, I'm aware of them. I've not put any on, but I think that was one of the, the key objects to it was to raise the fuel pressure to compensate for not having a pump. Like okay. like the fan will make you know fifteen to sixteen psi on its own. Right. Um, now with that said, on a fast system, they are now giving a five year million mile warranty on their their motors. So they're pretty confident they're going to you know work out well. And again, how do you prove the mileage? Time is easy enough to prove, but mileage it's easy enough to lie about. Yeah, right. The last time I was down at fast about five or six years ago in Marthasville, Missouri. He has, it's either a 40 or 53-foot van trailer at back of his shop. And he's got two rows of fast filtration systems running 24-7, pumping fuel and checking the life of the electric motors. And so we, we haven't seen that problem for, God, how many years has it been, Pete, since? since it's been so they had some issues years ago. They weren't holding up like they do now. And we, we seldom have to replace a motor warranty. And when we do replace one, generally they're like 10 years old. You know, so they've been around a long time. And you figure 10 years on a truck that could literally be running 24 hours a day. Because a lot of guys don't have APUs, so they let the truck run for heat or AC. I think it's a pretty good life uh, cycle out of their units. Yeah. Yeah, the, the motor reliability is her this stop and go. It's you know, it can run all run nonstop forever practically. It's the start up and stop, it's what kills it. But uh I, I don't know. I just uh I, I do like the simplicity of not um having to worry about it by that, that puck, but I might give it a try and see what's going on there. So well, what engine do you have? Uh thirty four oh six E. Okay. Now, like I said, I've seen them and, and knew they had them on the cats. I don't, I'm not sure if they're offering anything else other than the cat engines. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's no magic going on. And even the ones that do have the electric pumps, there's, there's no magic involved with it. It's, it's just a, a port on the top that gives the, the air a place to go. It's, um, so I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if, if the electric is worth it to me. Well, if if you try it, let us know. We'll do. All right. That's all I got. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. We're going to bring in a couple more. Oh, John, are you there still? Yeah, I'm here. There you go. It's your turn. Go ahead. Uh, First remark is the, you and I talked about it, and I haven't heard about it, is Trucker's Christmas Group. All the Pittsburgh Power stuff is sold out. 
already on there. Wow. That went fast. Yeah. I don't know how long it's been up for, but yeah, that's all sold out the uh, OPS and the max mileage, but it's something for people to look into. There's a uh, scan gauge on there for $10 off and some other other interesting I stuff. I know I saw an email the other day, and I, it was to the team, and I think it was scheduling them to get on the air and do our annual announcement, but I don't know where we are. Okay. We're awful yeah. close. Yeah. Yeah, I just figured uh, I'd mention that. And about the uh, crankshaft dampeners, it's about looking into the uh, bow air ride. So their research, what reason they made the uh, the uh, seat, it's because of all the vibration in the truck. Right. So I put one on this truck, and I noticed a heck of a difference. So those yeah. were my two right. remarks. Uh, thank you very much. I figured I'd do a little advertisement for You're them. So. <laughs> very good. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. All right. Let's Let's uh, let's bring in a couple more speakers here. Scott, you're up next. And TCGO, I'll add you as a speaker. You will be right after them. So, uh, Scott, go ahead. Hello. It's, uh, on the Nebraska trucks, I was looking on their oh, Facebook and all that stuff. Those are actually used trucks that they redo the titles on. They were selling one as a yeah, brand new with 200 and some thousand on the odometer. Yeah, we, we realize what they're doing One that because they're they have to buy this truck and it gets titled. Then they're retitling it as this assembled Man. title. Man. But what we're wondering is that might pass the DOT in the state. Does it pass the EPA? And, and I'm not sure that it does. Well, and the one thing that I was wondering on is that, say they buy a 22, they're retitling it as a 24. How does the implications of that work? Well, again, that that those are the rules in that state for what they call an assembled vehicle. So, so I believe that they're and if if they're telling me they're having a DOT inspector from the state come down and verify it, I'm sure they're following all the rules of the DOT yeah. in Nebraska. Yeah. But my question is, and nobody seems to be able to answer it: Are you satisfying the rules of the EPA? And I don't think so. It, that buy these trucks. I mean, it might bite them in the ass down the road if they have to. If if all of a sudden they say these aren't legal, what are they going to do with a $250,000 truck that doesn't have the right. And and what would it cost to, to put that thing back to the way it's supposed to be? Probably 40 or 50 grand. Oh, well, the, well, you have to buy a new ISX engine. So you're right. grand there. And then all the emission systems, uh, 65, 70 grand easy. And you're, well, and you don't have another, unless you have an engine laying around, you're going to have to core charge on top of the, the old engine or the new one, I should say. Yeah. It, it, to, and here, I don't even understand how this makes any sense to anybody. They're paying an awful lot for the original truck. Then to put a new engine in one has got to be outrageously expensive. And what do you end up with? You end up with a compromised truck, no matter how you look at it. The, the carrier I'm leased to, they've got some 2016 gliders, and they started getting the some of the brand new cat engines and a brand new cat that they put in uh, 60 grand. Yeah. It, it just doesn't make any sense financially to me, even if it is legal. Yeah. This is, uh... Oh, okie dokie. That's all I had. 
Hey, right. so, my, my hat's off to those people in Nebraska. They figured out a way to do it, and God bless them, and uh, and I hope they continue, and it continues to work out for them. I, I, I hope it, I, I'm not so concerned about them that they're taking their chances on this. Hopefully, they've done their homework. But I, I yeah. my concern is for the the owner operators and small fleets that might go out of business over something like this. Yeah, that's a big risk. All right, um, TCGO, you're up next. Jump in, Matt. You'll be uh, right after that. Hi, this is Mark Abraham with Truckers Christmas Group. Oh, well, well, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> you must have that heard uh, about that you. Pittsburgh Power product. I tell you what, I think it sold the day after we put it up in the store. Good, good. Popular product. All right, and, so tell uh, us about the Christmas Group. Uh, I'm, I'm sure the scan gauges will be gone tomorrow now that they've been mentioned. Um, the, the Christmas group, um, national chari- uh, nationally, charitable giving is down 40% this year across the whole nation, all the charities. Uh, so we're having a little trouble with funding. Um, we're, we've got about 50% of the funding that we need to cover all the families that have put in applications. And it's not always we we don't always fund all the families every time we got spoiled the last few years uh, but it it hurts a little when you get to know the family and you get to know their situation and and uh, you really want to help them and and then you don't have the funds but uh you know, yeah that, 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 you, that's part of the charity game <laughs> you know, we, we've got a lot of new listeners especially over here on x now why don't you go back when did this group start and tell us what it's all about okay Sure. Uh, Truckers Christmas Group started in 2008. Um, there was a uh, social media group designed just for truckers, and uh, that that was uh, Let's Truck in the in the beginnings. And one of the members of that was uh, wonderful Wayne Hortman, and he was having a particularly good year. And but in 2008, we had a little bit of a downtrend in the trucking industry and so he wanted to uh, help out some of the trucking families that that weren't having as good a year and he had five hundred dollars and you know so i'll contribute that how how do how do we do this i don't know anything about it so a committee was formed um and that's where truckers christmas group began and uh, Let's Truck has been there along with uh, Pittsburgh Power and Fleet Air and and all those great sponsors uh, from the beginning. And so what, the way this works is uh, we have a website, truckerschristmasgroup.org, and you can nominate a family that you think needs help and a family can nominate themselves if they, you know, if they feel they need to. And then uh, we get to know the family a little bit better and verify the the need. And and uh, people come to our store and they buy these products that uh, the great sponsors have have uh, donated. And you can go to the website and make donations also. And so then we have a Santa call. We've got that coming up uh, the 21st. So that's coming up this week, uh, Thursday. And we'll be calling each of the families. So 
um, we go through all those applications and we give each one of them a score of one to 10. Those scores are average. So each, each family has a, you know, has one number. Um, so when we start that Santa call, we, uh, we start with the highest number and we give each family a minimum of $750. If we're having a particularly good year, we may give them more than that. Um, so we give them $750 in a non-restricted grant. They can use that any way they want. Um, and we go down that list until we run out of money. And then, you know, we aren't the government, so we, we have to stop calling people. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, I, I, I want to talk about how you guys structured this and set it up because I really think it, it was right from the start. Um, the idea that you can absolutely just donate if you choose to, but what really makes this work for everybody, makes it a win-win, is that the, the sponsors have been very generous. They give awesome products and services, and they donate them. So, you know, they get some exposure. They get some new people to see their product, which is always good. The, the recipients get um, great pricing on this stuff that they're probably going to buy anyway, and and then the money's there to help the family. So, uh, and then again, if you choose, you can just do a straight donation. But I, I really think it works so well because you guys have done a great job of setting this up and administering it every year. So I want to encourage everybody, um, let them know. How do they find the website? How do they get involved? Well, you can Google uh, Trucker's Christmas Group, and we should come up first on the list because uh, um, – it's truckerschristmasgroup.org. So, you know, it just has the suffix of org instead of com since it's a uh, nonprofit organization. Excellent. So, All right. Anything else you want to let everybody know? Well, you've got a great show, and I don't want to take up any more of your time um, getting that expert knowledge out there. So thank you for letting me on. You're welcome. You know, I, I know it's been a tough year for a lot of people, but it's also been good years for a lot of the people in our tribe. And that's the time when uh, it helps to dig a little deeper and help the people who are struggling. All right. Let's see. Well, I don't think we have any other questions. Um, if anybody wants to jump in, now would be the time. If we run out of questions, we're going to wrap this up for today. If you've got yes. any questions, oh, Matt, go yep. ahead. There you are. Oh, uh, yes, I almost yeah. forgot about you. Sorry. <laughs> I wouldn't let you go. <laughs> See, I changed um, my system. I tried to I, I tried to be more efficient and bring in two people at once, and I'm screwing it up. Yeah. <laughs> you and multitasking have never, uh, never it, worked out. It does not work well at all. Uh, the uh, question about the, on the, oh, I just blew it, uh, air dog. Yeah. That second, that is the, the stage two. Oh. That, that non-motor. So that, it does not do the same thing as the stage one and the pass. Okay. And the stage two can be put on whether you have the air dog or the fast. Yep. You, you could still okay. put that stage two yeah, on I, even if you have a fast. I didn't, didn't really, we've talked about this before, but I didn't realize it was just a spin onto a current filter. Yeah, so the FAS or the air dog that has the motor on it is getting the air out before the engine um, fuel pump. 
And Got there's, it. you know, enough cavitation in there, you'll get small amounts of air again. So that second one is just a minor improvement after the fuel pump. Got it. Okay. Thank you. That makes more sense now. So it, it's an improvement, but it, I right. don't think you could say it does the same thing as a fast or even the stage one of the air dog. Got it. Okay. So, so yeah, I want to comment on that real quick. So, sure. I, I, uh, you, you know, the, the one with the electric system, it's the same same principle as the puck. Like, there's nothing magical going on in that system. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's you're just using the mechanical pump rather than the electrical pump. Uh, are you sure about that? As far as that, that is only a second. Did you see that on their website or something? Or um, well, I'm going off of what I've heard Joel talk about. I oh, personally okay. don't have it. I have a fast system. Um, and I've, you know, talked to Brad, I know Brad and Bruce, uh, I don't know, you can explain it any better. It's not just, you, you need the pump to pressurize it to get the air out. Uh, you, yes, you right. can it, naturally bleed some air off, but you're, you're not going to come close to what the pump is doing. Not, now, hold on a second there, Matt, you're correct, but the fuel pump is on the engine, so you're sucking through that puck, whatever's in there. Nope. So you're not pressurizing the puck, and to get uh, the air uh, out, you have no. to pressurize. No, you're on. You're you're thinking of the primary filter. The secondary filter is under pressure, and that's where the the puck goes. <clears throat> oh, okay. All right. And and you know they. I looked into it a little bit. I, I haven't done a lot of research, but they do tell you that you need to make make sure that after you install that, that you maintain the factory uh, pressure for that engine, whatever it may be. Um, because obviously you're going to lose a little bit of pressure because some of your pressure is getting bypassed back to the tank. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I called Cat, and you guys can clarify, but I think they said for, for the 3406E, it's something around 65 to 120 PSI is what's required. Well, that's um, a big range. Yeah, it is. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I've just been seeing some of their stuff pop up, of course, since I've been looking at it on Facebook. Um, but, you know, they've got a demonstration where they show a fuel pressure gauge hooked up um, after that puck. And, and before the puck, you know, the needle's bouncing all over the place because allegedly there's air in the fuel. After you put the puck on, the needle is pretty steady because you've removed the air. But anyway, it shows about maybe a 5 PSA drop, 5 PSI drop by using that puck. That definitely all sounds logical. Um, that's the advantage of the pre-filters and with a pump on it is you're actually increasing fuel pressure. I, I gain about 20 PSI on my fuel pressure with the right. FAS. I see there's an air dog uh, listener here. Maybe they'll chime in and shed a little light on this for us. Yeah, or, or that, this would be a good question on Friday for Joel because... He's much more experienced on the air dog side. I mean, I've read their material, but I have no experience. Yeah, I'll see what we can find out. We'll, we'll get it answered one way or another. By the way, can we go back and talk about crankshafts? I wanted yeah. to talk about this after Joel said the Cummins crankshaft. What did he say, Pete? What was that term he said? I don't remember the, the verbiage, what exactly he said. Uh, journal overlap. 
as far as the durability of it is usually what he talks about. We haven't had on a Cummins engine a crankshaft issue since it, 1972. Bruce, let me clarify because I do know what he's talking about here. He, he's not saying that there's anything wrong with the design of the crankshaft as far as it, how it fits into the overall design of the engine. It's not a weak point. He doesn't. There's no problems with it. It's just the architecture of that engine with the longer stroke, the side loading and the piston, the lighter weight crank and journals, it's designed to produce its horsepower up higher, higher in the RPM range. There's nothing wrong with the design of it as it works as a whole, but you can't downspeed those. I mean, that engine would not hold up to 900 RPM all day long, but it, but it wasn't designed to do that. But by running up in those higher RPMs and not holding as much heat, one, it's harder to access the horsepower. We've got to be much higher up in the RPM range to access the horsepower. And two, we're not holding as much heat in the engine with the higher RPM, and therefore that can lead to more emissions problems. So right. they, like I said, there's nothing wrong with the crank, the size, the journals for the way the engine is designed and running, but you can't downspeed it. All right, so let me say this. The CAT engine always had the longest stroke. They were always a half inch longer than like the big cam, the four and a quarter B's and the E's. And they made their power because they made a lot of torque. And they made their power at a lower RPM because of the torque and the stroke. And now you're saying that we're, by having a shorter stroke, we can downspeed the engine, but on all other engines, longer stroke, shorter connecting rod. The, uh, the Volvo's got a longer connecting rod, shorter the stroke. Short, uh, yeah, that I keep getting that backwards. It has a longer connecting rod, but a shorter stroke. Yep. And that's well, that, the difference. And, and a heavier crank and more journal overlap, more bearing surface, everything about it. What do you call journal it. overlap? So the where the connecting rods connect mm -hmm. versus the main rod, the main bearings, those journals, the, the diameter of the whole crankshaft is smaller. Obviously, there's shorter stroke. You need less rotating mass. So the, the thick part of the crankshaft, your journals, are closer together. They actually overlap versus a real long stroke, you're going to have that connecting rod swung way out from the center. There's not going to be any overlap. So this is making... something much easier to explain in pictures because... It, 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 every time I've seen it and had it explained to me, I've always had diagrams and it makes a whole lot more sense because I still keep getting the stroke and rod length backwards. But when I see it in the chart, I it, it makes sense to me. And again, another factor here is the uh, a lot less side loading of the piston. Yeah, that's the the longer connecting rod makes uh, you know the the side load minimize. So when you take an N14 and it's got a five and a half inch stroke, I think. Yeah, it's it's above. And you five. pull a piston out at 1.2 million mile, and there's absolutely no wear on the piston skirt and nowhere on the liner, why are we concerned about 
Bruce, again, we're, this, this isn't about breakdown. It's not about engine life. It's about being able to, to downspeed these engines. And that's where we're getting the best fuel economy and the best emissions life. Better fuel economy, more heat held in the engine. We get a, a more complete burn. So this is really the only issue here is does the architecture allow us to downspeed down into that 900,000 range that, that the Volvo allows? And, and that's why we're seeing such good fuel economy, um, no emissions problems and really long engine life. Okay. There's nothing wrong with the design of the pack car or the Cummins. They are just designed to produce their their horsepower up high, and these this other architecture is producing the same amount of horsepower at a lot lower RPM. Yeah, I, I Kevin, I, when you say high, I'm thinking like well, the big cam, seventeen, eight, no, eight, no, two thousand, and on yeah, on the new X15s, they're down at a. 1,000, 1,200, 1,300, that's, that's well, pretty low. 1,000 is, is you'd have to be careful running it down at 1,000. 12 or 1,300, no problem. Yeah. But that, and, and you're right, we used to consider that down speeding. Now we're really talking about 900 to 1,000, and the pack car and the Cummins just won't do it. And they yeah. and there's no horsepower down there, or torque. Mm -hmm. it, it, yeah, so we got to be relative what we're comparing to. Right. We're talking yeah. mechanical engines. Well, yes, the the current model Paycar and ISX are or X are downspared compared, compared to that, or even right. the early two thousands. But yeah, the Volvo is very happy at nine hundred, and Joel's even said eight hundred. He can run down the road all day. And that's just that's crazy. Yeah, but, it is. But, but yeah. yeah. But that's a it. It's all comes down to the architecture. Hey, we um, well maybe not. I thought I saw um, Air Dog was in there. I think they dropped out though. I thought we were going to get an explanation on that. I'll I'll get that. Um, I'll find out something. They must have dropped out. Uh, do we have any other questions? I don't see any other questions at all. Um, any maintenance-related questions, jump in and request to be a speaker. We'll bring you in and get your question answered for you. I, I can tell you uh, on mountain snowmobiles, being we climb mountains and we're not concerned about how fast they go across the level, uh, all snowmobile manufacturers dropped their three-cylinder mountain sled. It had a short stroke, and they went back to the two-cylinder long stroke because of the torque that took us up the mountain. And we took three-cylinder 600cc, and we took a two-cylinder 670cc, and the 600 blew it away on a drag race, on level. We took the same two sleds going up the mountain, and the two-cylinder walked away from the three-cylinder with the longer stroke. But And that is true, and that... So, okay. so the Volvo, and I don't have experience. I, I mean, I'm running a 99 Cat 2WS. So I, I just go off uh, the literature, the stuff I read, and what Joel posts. Mm -hmm. and he'll he'll straight out say, yeah, the Volvo is not going to win any races. It's it's it doesn't have the acceleration, but then the lower RPM and the gear range change going to the much higher ratios, you're making up for some of that acceleration. So it's it's not as bad as people think it is, but 
we're yeah, not it, comparing it, apples to apples. We're it's a it, totally different architecture. Yeah, it, it's almost about the only analogy I can come up with that even helps a little bit, Bruce. It's more like, are, are, do you want to race motocross with a two-stroke or a four-stroke? The two-strokes are incredibly snappy and responsive and, you know, screaming all the time, putting out all kinds of horsepower. And the four-stroke sounds almost like a dud. It just doesn't have that kind of snappy acceleration, but it's got all kinds of bottom-end torque. You're not running it at those crazy high RPMs. That's about the best analogy I can come up with. The, the Volvo runs a lot more like a big old four-stroke thumper, and the, the pack car and the ISX are like screaming two-strokes. And it's not to say why in racing, uh, you know, having all that throttle response in a two stroke, if you were good at shifting and you had to shift a lot and you had to shift fast, but there was a lot of performance out of that two stroke. It's kind of the same thing. We're not saying there's any performance problem. There's no problem that the the your crank is going to fail. The engine is designed the way it's designed and it does what it does well but you're not going to get the fuel economy or the emissions life out of it. Whenever uh, I've had some guys with X-15s and ISXs slow down to 58, and we brought the boost way down, and according to their readout on the instrument panel, the fuel mileage went way up. And it, 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 may, it may. I mean, there are ways to improve the fuel mileage on those engines, but we're, we're not going to reach the kind of numbers we're getting out of either the Volvo or the DD series. The Detroit is almost the same architecture, not quite as extreme as the Volvo, mm-hmm. but we're able to downspeed the, the DD series and get the, you know, we've got some of these guys breaking 11 now with freight. Right. I mean, the numbers are just incredible. Um, I think uh, Joel put out uh, a day the other day. They got like 16 miles to the gallon for the day. That was just insane. Well, that was the exact number that this ISX or X-15 was showing at 58. And I'm trying to think of how much freight. I think he had 11,000 pounds in the wagon, and it was pulling a van. And it was showing 16 miles to the gallon, but I wasn't going to say that. Yeah, well, and, and I, you know, if I know that somebody is tracking correctly and they're just giving us a day, but they're giving us the average for the whole day, and we're not just getting a snapshot of uh, of an instant, um, then I, I, we really are seeing these kinds of numbers. And the, the potential is there and the emissions are, are living much longer mm-hmm. because we're, we're running those engines at pretty high temperatures. Right at that low RPM. They're producing a lot of heat. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, we've got some uh, we've got some other speakers that want to get in here. Yellowstone, you're up next, and then uh, Yellowstone, you're up right now, and then Paul, you will be next. Hey, how's it going? Uh, I'm glad I could get this in while Bruce was still on the horn here. Um, first new truck I've ever owned. Um, when do I want to run an overhead on this X-15? I would say before two hundred and fifteen thousand. What would you or two hundred and fifty thousand? What would you say, Pete? So I would. I mean, we still go back to the the one the year. The overhead cam engines don't change much, but a couple of things are going on. One, 
during uh, break-in, there's a lot of uh, valve seating in place, so it changes it. We're assuming it was done right from the beginning when they assembled the engine. So I would do it, you know, once a year. Oh. And, and then, you know, when you're there at the shop, you get a boost test. They got the valve cover off. They can see if there's anything going on. Uh, I, I, I know it's a little premature doing it once a year, but we still promote that. All right. I mean, I've already missed that one, but I'm coming up on my anniversary on it in the spring, and I'll be just under 200. And uh, I figured 200 was kind of the number I had in my head. So, yeah, um, I, would, I would go ahead and do it then. Do it then or sooner. All just, right. Just because of the break in process on a new engine. Is there anything I can do as far as I, PDI has a compound set up for this? Is there. Is there anything I can do to make this thing just stop being a red motor other than try to paint it with yellow paint and see if that makes it do something? Have we, have we programmed it? She's, she's dead stock. I haven't touched it. It's you know still under that big, fabulous warranty and whatnot. Um, well, I can tell you, everyone that's been programmed, everybody seems to love them and lo love the way they run. So just... Get to one of our remote tuners or get into our shop and get it programmed, and then you'll be happy with it. Straight tuning? Is there is there any hardware? No. I, no hardware. No. no. There's no change of turbos. The, the turbos are, you know, the VG turbo, I mean, there are some drawbacks. They're expensive. There's more components to fail. But they're always the ideal turbo for the right horsepower. So when you're pulling out, they tighten up, and you've got a, basically a small turbo. They spoil when you're on make a big wind, it, it opens up and it you know yep. you get some CFM back out of it. Right, and then when your jakes come on, they tighten up to make a really good jake. I mean, the ISXs have one of the best engine brakes out there, so there'd be no benefit in changing a VG turbo on these. It's honestly the only thing I can say that I like about this X15 is it's got good jakes. And, you know, obviously part of that's part of the, 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 the turbo shutting down, like, you know, just like my little Duramax turbo does. Uh, it's the only thing. It's the only thing I could say I like about this motor. Well, now, take we, it and let's, let's program it and set it up. And uh, then you come back and tell us what you think. So you I said mean, I don't. Go ahead. Painting, painting it yellow. Did you have a cat before? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I. What I tell it's, people is it's. There really was nothing performance-wise better than a C15 cat. So my little six NZ ran along at 42 pounds of boost, and she was just, she was just, she was just great. Right. Oh, absolutely. God damn, she was just a good right, chugging wait, little wait motor. Second, at 42 pounds. Oh, do I still have you? Uh -oh. I don't know if we lost Bruce or not. So at 42 pounds of boost, I think where he was going with that is you were making more than five horse. Um, I bought that truck used, and that's where she was right the whole time I had it. Was, you know, some some days you'd only get 38, and a lot of times it was 40, but you'd get a hot hot sticky night, and she'd she'd sing up 42 pounds, and she just she just she just ran. She right. was a good girl. Yep, I had a customer that had a um, what did he have? It was a pack car. We, we put a power module on it, and I called him to see how he liked it. He goes, eh, it's okay. And I'm like, well, we dynoed it. It does exactly what it's supposed to do. And as we're talking, I realized he came out of a hot 6NZ cat. And there just was nothing that ran like a 6NZ cat with a tune-in. 
And can't... I have no idea what this had for internals. I don't know what it had for square guns. Probably just I, a program. You know, yeah, and I like I have no idea what file was in it. No idea. You know, it was a it was a truck I bought used and and I ran it and it wasn't a it wasn't a hot truck by any stretch of the imagination. I'd get past you know ninety five hundred thousand pounds. And the guy next to me doing the same. He'd he'd scoot along by me just fine. But it it was tolerable. You know it it. It was comfortable to drive. It just, I don't know. Maybe I got too spoiled, but oh, 565, 2050. And the, this this 2050 motor is better than my 2019 was. I bought my 2019 used as well. That was awful. I actually wanted to buy a Western Star to try the, the big block Detroit, um, but they wouldn't. They discontinued the 4900EX, so I went back to a Pete and went back to a red motor again. And it's it's better than the first X15 I had, but it's yeah, it's not impressive. No, you, you were definitely you know at 42 pounds of boost, you're probably in the least the 650 horsepower range, 2100 foot pounds of torque, and of course you're gonna have response because you don't have any of the emission system on there. Um, yep. You, I mean, you were just spoiled with a great running cat. I was. I, re- I really was. Yep. A lot of Can you hear me like, now? Yes, yep. we've got Back on. Okay. All right. So now, one it, thing I can say that was different is this is a 336 truck, and that truck had 342s. Now, that's Peterbilt so wouldn't let me put. Yeah, they, Peterbilt yeah. actually wouldn't let me put 342s in this when I ordered huh. it. And so it's, it's it's not the gearing. The, the Caterpillar at 42 pound of boost, the 6NZ stock is 28 pounds. Oh. Right. So if, you, if you'd have ran that cat at 28 pounds on a hill, you'd have said, oh, this isn't so great. But the fact that you had 42, so you had an extra 14 pounds. Somebody has a calculator. Was, I, I'm afraid to try to go in there. It was supposed to be like 17 or 18 pounds of uh, or horsepower per pound of boost or something. I had read along the line right. once, so I take think. That times this was an older motor, too. So, right. Plus, there was no emissions. And, and, you know, we love this 6NZ. I love the 5EK, the 1LW, 6TS, 2WS. I love them all because of how they ran. What's not to love? That's exactly right. And they're a long stroke. But uh, so put one of our programs in the X-15 and it'll be a world of difference for you. I, uh, don't don't yeah, be I'm, that I'm, horse that we can right water, water, but can't make them drink. I, uh, I, I'm out of warranty this spring. And like I said, I'll probably run an overhead before I get to 200. I'm going to wait to 200 before I do anything. Just because that's Doesn't how it matter. Well, I literally, literally while we're talking right now, I just watched yellow lights pop on. So, you know, that's, that's how my luck goes. <laughs> if you don't, if you don't, <laughs> the, uh, the yellow lights on the sign to be exact. <laughs> if you don't like how it runs, let's make the change. Now the warranty, you're not going to break anything with it. If, if warranty is good for the first month, because if, if somebody made a mistake, putting an engine together, it usually won't pull the first load make sure that you know there was all all the torque specs were in when they when they did it the first time that, that makes sense yeah that makes sense well gentlemen i gotta talk to this fella in a bright green jacket i have to let you guys go all right have a good day um hey hey matt help me out because i did it again who was the second speaker i was supposed to bring in i brought him in but i don't remember who they are i believe it was uh, me Oh, Paul, go ahead. Sorry about that. <laughs> hey, uh, you guys hear me all right? Yeah, go ahead. 
Okay, uh, Bruce, I just wanted to talk to you about your DPF alternatives. I, I think that's what it was called, right? Yes. Um, I just wanted to, if I remember reading right on there, if I do the highest package and continue using Max Mileage Catalyst, do you do a little warranty on there? You uh, never have to pay for another cleaning. Okay, and is that only at the location near you guys? No, no, that's at all their locations. That's at all of them? Okay. Mm -hmm. That's the main thing I was wanting to know. <laughs> yeah, and they, they came up with that. We didn't, so we are one uh, of their franchisees because we like their system. And uh, once they started using the Max Mileage Catalyst, they saw the value in it and how clean it keeps the DPF. So that's why they gave that lifetime warranty. I bought this Volvo used back in February, and I've put on 112 on it since, and I just want to look at getting the DPF cleaned out. Okay. What is the normal uh, recommendation of time on those DPF cleanings? Half a million. Half a million. Okay. So I'm just being overcautious since I bought it used then, I guess. Sure. sure. So, all right. That's all I wanted to do. Thank you, guys. All right, perfect. I'm going to bring in a couple more speakers here. MKA, you are up next. Go ahead. Justin, you'll be next. MKA, go ahead. Yes, hi. I uh, got a question for Bruce. Um, I got a 2017 680 with the Packard MX-13, 475 horse. Um I know for a long time you guys never had tunes for it. Just wondering if you have a tune now for it. That's a Leroy question. All right. One more time. What year did you say it was? It's a 2017. Yeah, that's got to be a hit or a miss. Most of the time, is is it a late 17 or an early 17? Early. All right. It, that's probably one of those things you'd have to send me the VIN number and I could double check to see if it has the software I can flash or if it has a software I can't. Okay. Um, that's those ones that's right on the line of if it has 16 software in it, it's good to go. If it has 17 software in it, I can't do it. Okay. Yeah. If I remember right, this one, this one was made uh, January of 16. So I'd have to. Well, then it, yeah, it might be, but yeah, just email me the VIN and uh, I'll let you know. Okay. That works. I will certainly do that. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. Yeah. Welcome. His right. email address is Leroy at PittsburghPower.com. Yep, I remember that one. <laughs> okay. Perfect. I thank you guys All very right. much. Justin, you are up. Go ahead and unmute yourself and jump in and join us. What's on your mind today? Justin, I see you there. Go ahead. Justin? Bueller. Anybody hearing me? I can hear you, Kevin. Okay, Justin. I can hear you. Uh, yeah. Um, Justin isn't there. That's our final call. Um, Justin? Nope, not seeing well, him. Go ahead, case, Matt. Justin comes in. Uh, people that are actually on X, or I think you can go look at this at any time later in the recording, there's a comment section, and the... Oh, I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, AirDog posted a, a picture and a diagram of that secondary system up there. Oh, yeah. Just to get an idea what it is. Oh, yeah, I see that. That's nice. 
So, but it um, looks like they're saying, yeah, it's only good for a cat or a Series 60. Series 60, right. Yeah, they're showing uh, cat engines running the 1R-0749 filter or-0750 or a Detroit Series 60 with a remote-mounted secondary filter. So it is very specific to just a couple engines. Yeah. But is that also the same thing you can use with either the air dog or the fast as a secondary? So from what I understood, Kevin, it was in place of either unit. So okay. this be a lesser priced item to put on. And of course, the installation was a lot simpler. Most guys could do it themselves. Right. And right. OK. So, and like I said, I kind of thought that on the cats, you had to bump the fuel pressure up. You would change the spring in a fuel pump to raise the pressure to help compensate for any loss that you might have from turning the excess fuel. What would be the method for that on a Series 60? So I, I wasn't aware until I Googled it that they offered it for the 60, so I don't know. And okay. The 60 Series ran a lot lower fuel pressure. So the one caller gave us a range of fuel pressure in a cat. The 125, I think, was the Acerts ran okay. that pressure and like a 5ek around like 55 or 60 P psi well that's so, a big difference yes there's different pressures depending on what your cat engine you had yeah so then i so i'm gonna call them i'm gonna reach out to them because i want to get clarification on this um, i think i'm pretty clear on this now but matt this would not be the same thing we were talking about earlier isn't that secondary piece of pump I guess I'm unclear. I, I thought I this too. is what it was, but yeah. I, like I'm, you say, I don't personally have any experience. Yeah, I don't see them on the space anymore either, but I'll reach out and try to get that figured out. So what I think is you have your first filter, which is under vacuum, your fuel pump, um, and then it goes to the second filter, which is now under pressure. And that's where that piece would go, would be on that filter. And then uh, there's a return line out of that air dog piece that would go back to the tanks away from the engine. That way it would get rid of the air is how I understood it worked. And I, I haven't put one on myself. Uh, I've just seen them on a couple of trucks. Right. Okay. I will get clarification on that. And um, we're going to bring in a couple other speakers. Terrence, you're up this time. Welcome. Justin, you're, you're still there. Let me try to bring you back in again. Maybe you were having problems. Terrence, go ahead. Terrence? Yeah, I'm here. There you are. Go ahead. And I think we got Justin this time. I see he was able to uh, to come in as a speaker. So, Justin, you'll be next. Terrence, Yeah, all right. Well, this is a promo for the uh, Max Mileage. But also, I'd like to wish those guys a uh, Merry Christmas and all everyone out there. Just listening to you guys, the amount of stuff I learned over the, I don't know, past 10 years listening to you guys is amazing. Just, you know. And I'm not, I'm a little bit mechanically inclined. I've never done a lot of motor work on big trucks. I did it on cars and stuff like that. But my thing for the max mileage is, uh, well, here's another one too. I, I, might, I have an Indian motorcycle. So I, 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 I moved down here and, and they're, they're not, some, they don't, in South Carolina, they don't take too kindly to no other way to put it, Yankees. <laughs> so I, I, I uh, you know, hey. I go, go ahead. Hey, well, Terrence. I, how'd they figure out you're a Yankee? Did you tell? No, I, all I had to do was open up my mouth. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so I, I, I go down there and I'm asking questions. You know, I had some little bit of issues. And I'm, uh, I'm going to help. You know, the guy's like, oh, yeah, you know, we charge this, this, you know, to do that. So my battery went dead. So I called the guy up on the phone. I knew his name. I, I, I got him. I said, Kevin, I said, listen, I got a problem with my battery. I said, uh, he goes, yeah, he goes, we charge about 500 to do that. He goes, uh, I can come pick it up. And I was like, uh, I said, be honest with me. How hard is it? to do the battery you know i have the saddlebag he goes listen he goes uh it's easy he goes i'm just you know you just got to buy the battery and and you can look on youtube yeah so i put the battery in myself no no great guy but like i said i built a relationship with a man just talking to him you know and and like i said i was shocked that he even told me that you know i mean he's taking bunny away from his horse basically by telling me how to do it but again it was building a relationship so yeah. But now, as far as the max mileage, yeah, how that works. yeah the max mileage. So I have a, a buddy of mine. He retired. He used to work for the New York City DOT. He did paving and all that. So he moved down here, and he's got an old '89. Uh, no, it was an '86 uh, Super Glide. So we're out on a ride, and he's like, "This damn thing's running like crap." So Bruce, I popped out my little jug, the little bottle of uh, the max mileage. I said, "Put some of this in there." So put it in there. So I'm asking him, "How's it going? How's the ride?" Nah, I can't tell the difference. So we leave, you know, we split up. About three days later, he calls me, goes, where'd you get that stuff? So I told him Pittsburgh Power, and he said, amazing the, the difference in that, that it, what it did for, the, for that Harley. And he has like a 65 L Camino, so you, you should be seeing that he'll stop buying that stuff like crazy. But again, the, re, the, yeah. the, the reason why for this, too, is it's Christmas. So if you have a buddy or someone you know or a friend who has an older car or a thing, just get him a little bottle of it or... Give him a jug, you know, and let him try it. This stuff is amazing. I've, I'm like my Indian. I've had it since day one in it. And same thing with my Dodge pickup. Yes, I've had that no issues with it at all. So that stuff works, Bruce. Well, thank you. All right, that's it. That's all I got. You guys have a Merry Christmas, man. Really enjoy listening to you guys. All right, good stuff. So, uh, Justin, try again. Are you there this time? Hold on. Right. Is that better? Can you all hear me? Now we can. Go ahead. Okay. Hey, how you doing? Good. What can we help you with today? All right. So me and my girlfriend, we're going to run team, and we just recently bought a 2020 Pete with the uh, ISX uh, efficiency. Uh, it's got the 12-speed endurance, uh, 279 rear-end gears. What are, y'all, what are y'all's thoughts on that setup? Bruce? Well... Uh, the only thing we need to do is tune it, put the oh. fast fuel system on. Uh, we do have, do we have intake manifold speed or do we have just the exhaust manifold? We have both, the intake and exhaust manifolds. So they help. Uh, the The tune is the big thing. Do the tune first and uh, put the fast system on and the OPS. And then you're set. Uh, the truck, we bought it. It has uh, 525,000 miles on it. Should we go ahead and replace that engine dampener? Yeah. You should make an appointment and come in and let's do the diesel force cleaning. I thought uh-huh. this was a brand new truck. So uh-huh. do the diesel force cleaning, and then we'll clean the DPF. Start running the max mileage catalyst. We put the damper on and set the overhead. And if money allows, put the fast system and the OPS on. Okay. And if, um, if, if you need to wait, the fast system and the OPS, uh, wait a couple months and then get back in and we'll do that. But if you can do it all at one time, that makes it much easier for you. 
Okay, and I was reading online also. Uh, I don't know if it was like the older engine models with the ISX that were having like issues with the, I think it's the water pump. When it goes out, it just like totally just decimates no. the whole engine. Is that fuel pump? No, it was the fuel, fuel pump. pump. Yeah. Is the fuel pump? Uh, would you recommend changing that just out of, you know, just but is it, it like a precautionary measure? If, if I remember right, it was a very specific model pump with a ceramic piston or something, that, and that's what was coming apart, but I don't think that's an issue on, on the later engines. Is it, Pete? That is correct. It was a ceramic link that they had in there figuring the ceramic won't wear, which it didn't wear, but it would just explode. Shatter, yeah. Shrapnel through the engine, which isn't fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it didn't wear out. Um, <laughs> and you said you had a, what year was this again? It's a 2020. Yeah, so. That the, was a 2250 thing. Yeah, that was yeah. the older ones. Yeah. They fixed that okay. like 15. Yeah, they, they, you know, got wise that right away. Basically what you would do if, if you weren't sure, say you bought a used truck and you weren't sure, and you were in that time frame because it might have been repaired, you would simply pull the top off the fuel pump and see if it had ceramic links or not. Okay, I don't even know what any of that would look like. I'd have to have some – I mean, is, is there a way to, like, be able to tell? Is it, like, obvious ceramic? Would you be able to, like, tap on it? I, I don't I don't think it's an issue at all on your engine, period. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. All right. And uh, – dang, I had one more question uh, that just evades me now. Um well, it was just there. Uh, well, I won't. I uh, appreciate y'all's time, and I won't hold anybody else that wants to hop up on here. You're so, welcome. I appreciate right. it very much. Thanks for the call. We are out of calls. We are right at the two-hour mark. We're going to wrap this up for today. I am going to go try to work on our other phone system and see if I can get uh, get something figured out on that for tomorrow's show. If not, we will be back here on Spaces until we get something figured out. This seems to be working okay for us. So we'll see you back here tomorrow. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.